You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. And finally, our third sponsor is 988. The Oklahoma 988 Mental Health Lifeline, 988 is a direct three-digit lifeline that connects you with trained behavioral health professionals that can get all Oklahomans the help that they need. Learn more by visiting 988oklahoma.com. That's 988oklahoma.com. And now, let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, your host, back with another episode down in the historic stockyards in Oklahoma City. Uh, second time I've done a podcast down here in four years, so I haven't been down here very often. Uh, but with me today, I have David Egan from uh, Cattleman Steakhouse. And, I mean, there's so much history in this building. Uh, we're going to probably scratch the surface on it today because there is so much. But, David, thanks so much for taking the time to share some stories. Well, welcome. We're glad to have you here in Stockyard City, and especially at Cattleman's. And- yeah. Look forward to a good visit today. I'm excited. Uh, so you've been here quite a while, I take it. We took over in 1990, so it's been a, a brief 32 years. Uh, the gentleman that had it before us was here for 45 years. So uh-huh. between, uh, do the quick math, 45 and 32, um, that's a pretty good stretch for, for two different operators to operate a, a restaurant. But uh We've got some more years ahead of us, and we look forward to continuing to carry the torch for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your direct role here is GM, is that right? Yes. Okay. And were you GM when you started? or? We, uh, yes. Okay. The owner and myself, Dick Stubbs, <clears throat> have been together for 48 years, and uh, we were operating another restaurant here in Oklahoma City by the name of Applewoods when uh, this opportunity came about and uh, we were involved in the Oklahoma Restaurant Association as well as the owner of this restaurant was and so when he decided to kind of hang up his spurs he came to us and said uh, I heard you guys are working on a steakhouse concept and uh, look no further than here why don't we sit down and talk about it we said yeah thanks but not thanks it doesn't really quite fit the mode of what we're looking for but uh, you know We'll, we'll keep you in mind, have a good day. And the longer we thought about it and the more we pondered it and we thought, you know, because what happened was Oklahoma City, after the oil bust in the 1980s, I would say probably half of the restaurants in Oklahoma City went out of business, um, if not more. <clears throat> so some of the old institutions like Glenn's Hickory End, uh, JNR Chicken Ranch, and... Um, um, went out of business. Some of them f- fell on hard times and just weren't what they used to be. 
And when we were coming out of the oil bust in the mid to late 80s, we looked around and we said, you know, what, what, what has happened to Oklahoma City? What does it need? And our restaurant, Applewood, started rebounding quite well. So when the economy started coming back, we um, were one of the few restaurants in the Reno Meridian area that had survived. And so our business was very, very good and very strong. And we started looking at what the market had lost. And a steakhouse was, if you asked 10 different people in 1985, where's the best place to get a steak in Oklahoma City? You probably would have got 10 different answers. <clears throat> so our task, we felt at the time, was to create a restaurant that nine out of 10 people would name as the place for steak. So we went on um, um, a planning spree and spent about two years coming up with a concept that we loved. And um, we had secured a facility on Southwest 3rd and Meridian as, as a lease that we were getting ready to sign. And we were going to do this steakhouse concept there and one day the real estate person called and said, hey, I've got some bad news. Somebody just paid cash for that building. We said, what? Wait a minute, we were gonna lease that. And he said, ah, sorry, um, it's not available anymore. So we really have Hal Smith to thank for buying the first location for Outback in Oklahoma City that forced us to reconsider this opportunity. So the more we started thinking about it and looking at it, <clears throat> we really thought stockyards, cattle, beef origin, history, uh, the restaurant's been around a long time, there's murals on the wall of cattle that kind of just kind of oozes beef. And so we started thinking about it and, and, and really struggling after coming out of bankruptcy and the oil boom to bust, the last thing we wanted to do was get in something that was going to take us back down again. So it was very, very, um, we were very cautious in making that decision. Um, when we finally did, uh, we jumped in with both feet and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. So how, obviously you guys are in the, re in the restaurant industry before this comes available. <clears throat> how do you get into the restaurant industry and then how do you meet Dick? Actually, I was in hotel and restaurant school in Stillwater uh -huh. um, studying because I decided as a young man that I wanted to be in the restaurant business. I, I was inspired by some other people, and my family had some friends, and I grew up in Tulsa. And my family had friends that were in the restaurant business that kind of took me under their wing. And so when I was in Stillwater, um, between my sophomore and junior year, there was an ad in the school paper up there of looking for a hotel and restaurant uh, student to be an intern for the summertime. And I remember what really caught my attention was earn $1,500 for the summer. And I'm thinking, man, that's a lot of money. Until I started figuring it was three months at $500 a month. And I thought, well, that's still a lot of money. And so I answered the ad, and it was Dick that was running a restaurant in Tulsa that I grew up just a few blocks from. And so I went and visited with him. Uh, he hired me on the spot. And at the end of the summer, I was getting relieved to go back to Stillwater to resume my studies. And um, 
He said, I want you to run the restaurant that we have in Stillwater when you go back to school. I said, hey, I really appreciate that. Thanks, but no thanks. I've got to get finished in four years, and I, I can't I can't be delayed in any way, shape, or form. But thank you very much. Uh, I'd love to see you again next summer. And that was okay for a day or two. And then he came back, and he did it again and again and again. And so as I got close to the end of the summer, um, I thought about it, and I said, you know what? I'll make you a deal. I'll come back, and I'll try to run that restaurant while I go to school full-time under the condition that if it doesn't work out and I have to quit, you'll hire me back next summer. And um, he said, okay, and that was 48 years ago. Wow. That's, so, it's amazing how we meet, right? How, yeah. how you meet people and how your lives turn out, and now you're, you're here, and you, you guys have been working together for so long. Mm-hmm. That's special. Yep. So I hope we make it at least two more years without, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Something terrible happened, like. Well, yeah. You know, we. Anything had happened. Yeah. Right? We, yeah. You know, like being married 48 years, and then one day you come in and your wife's got all the luggage on the front porch. You thought, really? After really? 48 years, you can't take two more years just so we can have that party? <clears throat> anyway. Oh, brilliant. So growing up in Tulsa then, and, and just kind of what, what leads you into the idea of going into hotel, hotel and restaurant management to go to school? Well, I love to eat out. In our family, we there were five children in our family, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom, and um, we didn't we didn't have much money. I mean, it was, but my dad liked to eat out, and um, so it was always kind of special to go somewhere else and eat food. Um, I had a dear friend that um, I grew up with in Tulsa, whose mom was a wonderful cook she had a almost an institutional kitchen in her house she was a great baker and uh one day a friend of hers was over who was the the food writer for the tulsa world and she was asking my friend's mom um i need to write a positive article about kids because all the kids today are getting in trouble they're causing havoc and everything else i need a I need a positive article. My friend's mom said, well, you need to meet our little friend, David Egan, because he loves to cook in the kitchen. And it's kind of a hobby of his. And he helps me and he cooks at home and everything else. So lo and behold, she comes to our house and does a article. And, you know, I think I was 14 years old. And to say I, I was embarrassed because it was... <clears throat> You know, at that time, everybody's playing football and, you know, boxing and starting to meet girls and everything else. And here's me. And back then, there weren't, you know, not as many men in the restaurant business or cooking, I guess I should say. You know, a lot of the kitchens were staffed by women. But anyway, um, my dad was not very keen on the idea. He was a truck uh, equipment guy, and and uh, I think he probably always envisioned that I would follow in his footsteps. So he was, I'm not going to say he was embarrassed, but he probably probably wasn't his proudest moment to see sure. a picture of his son on the front page of the uh, food section of the paper. Anyway, one of the things in the article that I alluded to was my grandmother being a good cook. Well, a good friend of my grandmother had one of the finest restaurants in Tulsa at the time called the Country Fair Restaurant. And this couple that owned it were good friends of my grandmother. 
And they told my grandmother, if your grandson's ever interested in learning anything about the food business, have him come and see me. So I went and uh, met them, um, started to work for them, I think when I was 14 or 15, and worked for them for about two years in the kitchen. And, and to be a waiter at that restaurant, you had to be in college. They wouldn't let anybody wait tables that wasn't in college. So you either went to Oral Roberts University, University of Tulsa, Spartan School of Aeronautics, or any other community college that might be in the area. And I really wanted to work out front after being in the kitchen for a couple of years, but they said, you can't until. So between my freshman year in college, I went back and worked uh, on weekends and then came to work there that summer. And after working there, I was already enrolled in a hotel and restaurant. So I was pretty well on the path of knowing what I wanted to do. I didn't know where I was going to be or what I wanted to do, but that pretty well ingrained what my future was going to be. Yeah, that's that's really cool to have that and have that passion, but also to have that connection with family over cooking because cooking is such a family thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and I know, you know, back in the day, right, like that was you were going against the grain. Like you said, your other friends are going out playing football, running around, chasing girls, you know, mecha- you know doing stuff with cars, whatever it is. And, I, you know, you're probably kind of seen as like the outsider to be cooking and like, oh, this guy's on the front page. He's 14. He's cooking. That's that's nerdy or whatever. Right? Yeah, I can understand yeah. how that would have been perceived. But it's really cool to look back and have that passion. And now to where you are today, like, you know, it, it, if someone were to say, you know, if someone knew you back then and they saw you in the paper and they see you now, they wouldn't be surprised. Right. To what you do. Correct. Um, so so fast forwarding, then you spend a lot of time then with Dick and you're in the business. You graduate. You're doing all that restaurant stuff and this opportunity comes up. Did What did you know about Cattleman's when that opportunity came? Opportunity came? Would you know how about the history and did you eat in here at that time? Honestly, I moved to Oklahoma City in 1977 because we opened up Applewoods in 1978. And from 1977 to 1989 and a half or 1990, I had never eaten at this restaurant. I'd never even been in this part of town, even though our other restaurant was probably two and a half miles from here. So in the late 80s, Cattleman's, the only thing I heard about Cattleman's during that time was it was open 24 hours a day at that time. And the only thing I heard about it was people coming here late at night after drinking all night and sometimes the fights and the some of the wild weirdness that went on. And frankly, it just didn't really appeal to me. I would have never thought of it as a place to go and sit down and and have a nice dinner. Uh, I thought of it more as kind of a greasy spoon cafe kind of deal. And uh, and I love greasy spoons and cafes, but uh, it just it just wasn't on my radar. Mm -hmm. And uh, until we started to talk to Mr. Wade, the, the previous owner, Um, I had never been here before to eat, so when we came in here and ate the first time uh, with Dick and his wife, Tina, uh, we sat down and kind of looked around and took it all in and thought, yeah, I don't know, Uh, you know. And you never know when a restaurant has kind of fallen on hard times. Big, big gamble. It's really hard to know whether it's revivable or not. I had the discussion with the gentleman that took over Sleepy Hollow many years ago, and he said, well, I want to do with Sleepy Hollow what you guys did with Cattleman's. And I said, well, good luck. I mean, it very well could happen, but it's not guaranteed. There's so many factors involved by guests that have decided to quit coming for whatever reason or another. The location may not be 
you know, positive anymore, or the food in the service may have dropped off, or, you know, they just didn't stay up with the times and don't have things on the menu that people want at that time. But, and this restaurant was, was in that position at that time. So we really didn't know if we came in here and operated it, you know, on a more professional business model, like whether customers were going to um, fall back in love with it. Because a lot of people had had fallen away from the restaurant for many, 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 many different reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's hard to know exactly what they are because you're not going to turn around and do a market survey and say, why don't you eat at Cattleman's anymore? But our hope was that if we came in here and applied some some more standard uh, restaurant management controls and standards of training and menu engineering and quality controls, some of those things that hopefully the customer would respond and go, you know what? We hadn't eaten there in a while. And so we were very careful when we came in and took it over. um, One of the first things we did was we increased the portion sizes on the menu. We increased the quality of the steaks. We increased the prices of the steaks. And we knew that we were going to lose some customers by doing so because the customer base at that point coming out of the bust and everything else was pretty, was pretty depressed or they were looking for value. And the restaurant had responded in the 80s by lowering portion sizes, lowering prices, lowering quality to give what they thought the customers wanted during this down economic time. Well, those times were over and those times that scenario didn't make any money. So we knew that in order for this thing to survive and and thrive, we were going to have to change a lot of what was going on here. And we kind of held on for dear life. We came in and we started training. We started instituting standards uh, that uh, were not at the time um, being used. And we we went after quality. We had we had really honed our skills on steaks in our previous restaurant. Uh, even though it wasn't a steakhouse, we did have steaks, and we probably sold more steak than anything else at the restaurant. So we we did have some background on uh, having a number of years' experience with beef, and so we brought some of those standards with us here and and started incorporating some quality and some some different steaks and some different ways of presenting steaks when we got here and um, the next step then was to let the people know to come back without telling them we never told anybody as under new ownership under new management anything new all we did was we rolled out an ad campaign that said you remember Cattleman's as it used to be. Well, the lamb fries are still as good as they've ever been. The salad dressing is still as good. So we've just reminded everybody the things that they liked about us in the past are still here and are still good. And that became that began to pique people's interest and they started thinking, well, you know, we haven't eaten there in a long time and I don't think they had ever done any TV advertising before but we were big on marketing and and advertising. And it became to give people talk of 
what was different or what might be going on. And as they came in, one at a time, five at a time, ten at a time, it took a long time to build the customer base back up. And actually, probably in 1992, when President Bush stopped by here on a campaign stop, uh, he had eaten here many, many years before when he was in town on business. And he asked Senator Nichols that he was traveling with at the time, is that steak place down at Stockyard still there? Because they were planning on going somewhere else to eat that night. And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. And those guys are friends of mine. And, you know, we can make arrangements to eat there. He goes, that's what I want to do. So when the newspaper heading the next day was full page, front page of the paper, the picture of the president stand out in front of our sign in the restaurant, it just gave an incredible stamp of authenticity, credibility that said, huh, not the president can eat there. I've never eaten there before. We need to go try that place. And that probably really turned the tide pretty significantly at that point. I mean, we were building and we were doing better, but uh, that really gave us the boost, I think, that to start adding to the, the customer base. And, uh, you know, every year we've just continued to try to work really hard at increasing the quality of our service, increasing the quality of our food, the consistency of it, and just day in and day out that's what we strive for yeah yeah it, that's fascinating to me and I, and I love that like you know it, it's like I said you haven't really changed much other than just increasing the quality right it's still the same place that it was back sure. in the day you know and, and, and you know that's kind of the feeling people get when they come in here they feel like they're going back in time and they're sat in the same seat that Bush might have sat or Stallone sat at in that corner booth back you know mm-hmm. a few months ago like that's really really cool and, and, and obviously a great you know unique selling point and then the neon sign outside is something that's special too you know they know that they, when they see that you know they know exactly what it is but for me I'm I'm, I'm interested in in the, obviously the history of it and, and on the website you know it does say that this was won in a dice game mm-hmm. so I assume Mr. Wade was the one who won in that dice mm-hmm. game and you mentioned gambling and seems like he was a bit of a gambler too yeah well his dad was a pretty notorious gambler and bootlegger at the time and he ran with some pretty crusty characters one of which was the guy that had this restaurant at the time by the name of Hank Fry Really, from 1910 to 1945, there's a little bit of a blur as to who operated. The original part is the cafe, mm-hmm. uh, the coffee shop side, we call it. Um, and and it was a small little cafe. It was nothing, you know, that resembles today. And that little cafe was, I hate to call it a front, but because it was a business and there were a lot of restaurants down here uh, in, the, in the early 1900s because there were a lot of people that worked down here and were employed here. This was a real, this was the busiest hub of economic activity in Oklahoma City for many, many years because it had more employees that worked in the packing houses and the stockyards back here than any other area of Oklahoma City. So when the interurban trolley dropped people off up here on the corner, people came, they went to work, they came out of work and they bought their dry goods, they bought their clothes, they bought their jewelry, they bought, they went to eat, they went, went and had a beer or whatever else they were trying to do. They got on the trolley and they went home because back in the early 1900s, nobody had a car. So everybody relied on the trolley for transportation to get them to and fro. So as, as those years went on, um, 
there's an apartment upstairs where our office is now, and, and the gentleman that, that owned and operated the cafe at the time would live upstairs. So there was actually two couples that lived up there quite a while, especially towards you know the 1940s. And they would take turns betting and trading the restaurant. One day you would have it and you'd go downstairs and pay the bills. And if there was any money, money left over, you'd put some in your pocket. The next day I might have it and I go downstairs and do the same. And this kind of went on for, for a number of years until 1945. So Gene Wade had gone away to war uh, in World War II. And he had, before he left, he had a theater in Dallas um, that he had to leave abandoned when he left. He left a gentleman in charge to take care of it while he was gone. When he came back from the war, the place was abandoned and the guy had run off and I guess made whatever money he had and left. And so when Gene came back, he thought, well, I'm going to move back to Oklahoma. My family's from here. And his dad was living in Oklahoma City at the time. <clears throat> so he sold his building in Dallas, brought his life history to, uh, I mean, his life savings up to Oklahoma City, and it happened to be Christmas Eve in 1945, and his dad was a big gambler and bootlegger, as were the guys that lived upstairs that had cattlemen's. So Hank Fry was in the big dice game. It was a craps game at the um, Hotel Black downtown Oklahoma City, and things got flying and you know, emotions got high, and Hank Fry was so confident of himself, and Gene Wade, it was just a horrible bet. I mean, so Hank Fry said, I'll put up Cattleman's Cafe if you can ro roll a hard six. Well, it's really hard to roll two threes, and the odds are very, very low that you're going to win it, but he put up his life savings for it. He'd never been in the restaurant business before, didn't know anything about being in the restaurant. Why he even wanted to win the bet, I don't understand. But he did, and he won. And the next day, he came in here and sat down at the stool on the counter and looked around and said, what have I got myself into? <laughs> and his dad said, son, don't worry about that. You know, we're going we're gonna to make this thing work. Now, now we have the domain here. We have the headquarters for gambling and bootlegging, and we can do everything out of here. In the meantime, you get to work and learn how to run a restaurant and everything. So as time went on, as each of these storefronts, were they 25, 35 feet wide and 100 feet deep, as each one became available, they would buy the next one. So this represents, on, on the side of the cafe, this represents three sections. And they would buy those sections as they became available till we get to the sidewall of the parking lot over here. And so they gradually added on to the restaurant. Uh, they added on upstairs here a uh, banquet room. Um, in about 1953 or 55, I think. And um, then they decided, well, this restaurant business is kind of kind of lucrative. I think we can make some money doing this. The big rage in the 1950s were cafeterias. And Oklahoma City had more cafeterias per capita than any other city in the United States. And so everybody was eating at cafeterias, so they started opening up cafeterias. Uh, Ada, Lawton, um, Oklahoma City, 
They had food service at Wiley Post Airport. They had food service at uh, FAA Training Center out at uh, Will Rogers. They had really spread themselves out a lot and had done very well with most of their operations. And, and that would go on for a number of years. So as the 60s and 70s came about and things started to change a little bit in the area, the packing houses behind here started to close. And when the packing houses started to close, the stockyards remained, but most of the employees that did business in this area were no longer down here. And packing houses moved out of the city because EPA regulations that started and nobody really wants a packing house in their neighborhood and, and the city had grown around the area by that time. So um, time went on and um, um, restaurants, they started closing one at a time. They just didn't have somebody to run them for them or they'd run out of a lease or whatever it might be. And they gradually just kind of narrowed it down until they got back down to the original cattlemen's here, uh, probably in the in the early 80s, early to mid 80s. And that was the, the final restaurant that they, ha they had. And so when Gene finally started getting kind of tired and wore out, that's when he decided, I need to figure out a way to get out of this deal. And uh, he actually said, I'm getting ready to lock the front door. If you guys don't take this, the gig's over and, and I'm done. Um, he just, he couldn't afford to feed it anymore. He didn't have the energy to uh, continue to operate it. And so um, it wasn't, I, think, I don't think it was intended to guilt us because, um, but it did put a lot of pressure on the area because yeah. it did draw people to the area. So other merchants like Langston's and the bank were concerned about losing cattlemen's, and it was actually the bank that helped facilitate part of the uh, lease purchase deal that we entered into that, that made the, the operation work out. Yeah, yeah, because people now know this place as the hub, right? It's the center of, of Stockyard City, and, and, and it is, for the most part, the only reason people come down here, or the main reason people come down here. They come down here, they can want to eat. You know, we're, we're just the brand that has been built up, right, over the last 32 years and the job that you guys have done. And I think the emergence in the last five to 10 years, I guess in Oklahoma City of like districts popping up, mm -hmm. this is kind of like people are now realizing, oh, well, Stockyard City is its own district now as well. And, you know, even before the word district was even a thing in Oklahoma City, you know, it's always been a center of, of just, you know, back in the day, like you said, this was the place that people came wherever they wanted to do. Cause you know, the the trolley stopped outside, you know, the packing house, all the food. So it makes a lot of sense that, that you, you know, that was a great idea, you know, to continue that. And, you know, thanks to Hal Smith in hindsight, right, for buying that restaurant because <laughs> you never would be here today. But Correct. I, I want to move forward a little bit and just kind of talk about over the last 32 years, the job that you guys have done in building that brand and, and sustaining that because looking back it was a gamble to take this over during the you know the time and, and everything that was going on so I, I mean just kind of share the last 30 years and how you guys have strategically gone about brand building and, and getting people in here and, and just keeping that Calman's name as, as an institution in, in the history of Oklahoma City and just Oklahoma in general I think one of the one of the key things was uh, Dick realized in the early days that Stockyard City had something unique to offer at Oklahoma City before all the other districts were developed and promoted in their own. 
And we had always worked closely with the Convention and Tourism Bureau, uh, both state level and the city level, uh, because our previous restaurant had large banquet facilities and we, you know, worked closely to get, you know, out of town traffic to build up. And so we reached out and continued our relationship with those people and they began to see the value in promoting something unique. Everybody from outside of Oklahoma thinks of Oklahoma being cowboys and Indians. And there still is some authentic, real life cowboy um, culture in Stockyard City. Uh, There was in the 19-teens and the 1980s, 90s, 20s, up until today. So what, what we tried to do was try to make sure that we reached out to the traveling public so that people coming through Oklahoma City or people coming to Oklahoma City would think of us as a kind of a must-stop place. You get a fabulous steak, you get really friendly, hospitable service, and you get a museum thrown in. So uh, some days we joke about, you know, we're not sure whether we're running a museum or a restaurant because a lot of people will come in and just look and look at the pictures and walk around the place and try to soak it all in. Um, But that was part of what we hoped would happen as well. And so the Convention and Tourism Bureau highlights and really directs a lot of people to come to Stockyard City when they come to visit. a couple other things occurred when we, um, on uh, the Travel Channel, I don't remember what year it would have been, probably 2000 or something like that, a long time ago, came and did a story on us, and um, that was a nationally publicized deal. And we started noticing people coming in that were traveling that had seen it on that program and thought, well, you know, that's really nice. It was good free advertising. and. Again, established a third-party credibility that somebody else says we're a good place to to go to rather than our paid advertising that tries to entice guests to come and see us. Um, And then uh, diners, diners, drive-ins, and dives. Um, uh, Adam Richmond from, um, they changed the name of the program, but on the, uh, he does the Travel Channel. Yeah all-you-can-eat deal. He didn't do an all-you-can-eat deal with us. He did a, a feature with us. Uh, and there again, uh, you know, Guy Fieri's program is the most watched program on Food Network today. And again, somebody like him coming in going, folks, you know, here we are in the butcher shop and man, look at this meat. I've worked in a butcher shop, Guy said. Um, when he was in college in Las Vegas, and he said, this is this is the real stuff. I mean, you guys are really getting good meat when you come here to eat. And as he went in the kitchen and we made dressing together and did some other things, again, somebody else from the outside saying, it's probably a place you don't want to miss, automatically had everybody put us on the map. And so that, that helped a lot. We're now, we're between 25 and... 30% um, of our guests that come to the restaurant are from outside the state of Oklahoma. Now, that still means our core is local. I mean, we are a local restaurant. We're not a tourist trap. We just we, we have enough um, 
different ingredients here that customers want to come and see that make it different than just every other chain restaurant or other, another restaurant that doesn't have as many unique factors as what we may have. And so um, um, those people come to town. Summertime now, when we first took over, some, summertime was slow and not much going on, and it was just kind of the doldrums. Now, with the exception of December, our summer months are our busiest months of the year. And um, a lot of it is people traveling and wanting to stop by on their way here. So what we've tried to do is continue to, to present ourselves as an authentic Western historical stop with really good steaks, people that will treat you well, and um, just that's that's our message and we continue to preach that message every chance we get so that the customer will go hey may not be the fanciest place in town there may be more high dollar areas of town there may be closer you know we're we're one mile off interstate 40 for wherever you live in oklahoma city we're really a short drive it may not be the street that you normally drive down to do your shopping and to pick up your laundry. But at the same time, it's easy to get to. And uh, we just, we've really valued the, the treasured, all of our regular customers that have eaten with us for, for over the years. Uh, we have a lot of people that have dined with us for 40, 50, 60 years, brought their kids, brought their grandkids. And we just, we love that next generation. When those young people come in here, we want to hug them. We want to put them up on our shoulders and thank them for being here because we know that they're going to bring their kids and their grandkids here. Yeah, it's special to have that generational customer, right? You know, you've got someone who, you know, when I look back and I think of times that like my grandparents would take me to dinner, you know, and and, and you, there's nothing better than, than them than seeing your grandparents light up when they take you to a place that they have been eating for 30, 40 years, mm -hmm. right? And then you have that, it's not a just, it's not a transactional relationship anymore. You know, it, it, they come in, they probably sit in the same seat they've always sat in. You know, they might order the same thing they've ordered for 30 years, right? It, that, that's, that's something that, that, you know, really money can't buy. You know, and that experience is something that you guys have done, a, obviously a fantastic job of, of retaining those people. Well, it's a it's something of value to them, and they're passing on something that's near and dear to them, like they would pass on a family artifact or a or a piece of jewelry or a piece of land or something that's been in the family for years. This is something that we've done as a family for 30, 40, 50 years. It's something that we're going to bring you to, something that you're going to learn to love like we have, hopefully, and uh, that you'll be able to bring your kids and your grandkids here. Yeah, uh, we did that. We shot a commercial, you know, a couple of years ago, finally capturing that experience of Grandpa bringing his grandson in and sitting up the counter and bellying up to the bar and and sharing that experience with him. And I think it really speaks uh, volumes to people that have been here for two or three generations to remind them that there are a lot of memories, a lot of good experiences here. We have a lot of people come here for special occasions, anniversaries. Um, when somebody passes away, this is grandpa's favorite restaurant. They wanted to come here and eat after the funeral. Um, they post pictures of, you know, where their grandmother had their 40th wedding anniversary or they got married in 1950 and they came here, you know, after the wedding and 
all those experiences are really treasures to those people and we feel honored that we can help them continue to carry that on yeah uh, back to you know what you said earlier just kind of how some of the you know 20 30 percent of your business is traveling and that makes a lot of sense because of the travel channels and and kind of the buzz that you've had from them but also it must be really cool for you to be in such a district and such a you know an area like this that's centered around the western culture and just that way of life that's hardworking, you know men and women that's you know kind of shit off my back type of mentality and being around that that's that's a nice place to be and it also probably helps you raise the profile of the the entire area as well not just for you guys but for shorties down the road or any of the other businesses that are here you know like said the western store across the street like that must be cool as well to be a part of a, a community down here and you guys have been that in you know the hub of that community but raising the profile and, and growing that community profile is only going to help you further as well so i'm interested to hear about kind of your take on on just how the community's responded in the last 30 years since you've been here well there's there's only <laughs> there's only a couple businesses down here now that were probably down here yeah uh 32 years ago the pharmacy exchange pharmacy on the corner certainly uh um langston's across the street um, we've had some really, really great additions to the area in the last few years. Some people that have really come all in and um, worked really, really hard at creating an environment, a unique business environment to the area. Uh, the, the movie theater, you know, across the road, um, uh, McClintock's across the street, the National Salary that expanded and built a new building across the street and added the Sarsaparilla next door and um, Shorty's moving and expanding. And um, um, what, what I think is really critical down here is everybody works together. We have a Stockyard City Main Street, which was actually the first urban Main Street in Oklahoma. Um, that we started back in the early 90s, and it really brought people together. It's a reason for people to get together and have meetings and visit about the area and issues and opportunities that are shared with each other. Um, it's that, you know, weakest link concept is we, we're all in this together and we all enhance each other's business. Um, when Shorty's does well and Langston's does well, we all do well. Uh, we probably draw more customers to the area than anyone and I think that we are well respected and appreciated down here everybody is 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 realizes that each each of us have a part to play in the long-term health and well-being of the area the Main Street program has really helped us uh, keep keep on track and when you when you lose that continuity of the area people start going a little rogue and then you have some disagreements over things and you, people start going their own way and creating some rifts and uh, that hasn't happened out here the main street has really been an integral part of holding people together bringing people together to work for common solutions and uh, I think it's been really integral in us continuing to grow. I mean, there's hardly, I don't know if there's any open space down here right now. Uh, there's some land probably that could be available and accessible, but 
for the most part, uh, the area is is doing well economically. Um, as downtown continues to expand and do well, it helps our area too. We're straight over the Exchange Avenue bridge right into the middle of downtown. So as downtown has grown over the last 20 years, it's it's helped our area as well. Yeah. So I think, you know, the city itself has grown back more into the into the center away from uh, the outsides of town and all that has helped um, everybody in the in the middle of town and we're considered in the middle of town we were kind of an extension of downtown when stockyards was first developed in 1910 and so we continue to be you know connected and a very integral part of downtown so um I think everybody working together and ensuring that the good of the area is everyone's uh, desire um, will pave the way for the future of being strong. Yeah. Finishing up then, what are some of the kind of just highlights for you over the last 32 years that you've been here? And I mean, you mentioned President Bush showing up and then obviously Sylvester Stallone recently coming in with his family, but are there any others that kind of stand out, just personal ones that, that you know, that was just a... A highlight you know don't take this wrong um, those people are you know a little you know polished on the gym maybe uh, it's really the everyday people that motivates us to continue to come to work and continue to keep the torch mm-hmm. uh, lit strongly and work with our employees and uh, ensure that 165 people continue to have a job and that we continue to stimulate our economy locally by having a strong business. All of our employees live, you know, within 10 miles of here. Um, The ownership and everybody that runs this place lives around here we spend all of our money here um the ripple effect is really strong our payroll is in excess of four million dollars a year so there's four million dollars worth of economic activity that's being spent you know in a very close proximity of the area so i I really think the 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 average joe that comes in here once a year for a special occasion uh the couple that comes in here for their anniversary the the new kid that comes in with his grandpa those are really the people that that keep us going that give us the strength we appreciate any celebrities that come in here um we love them like we love everybody else we appreciate their presence um but nobody is really any better than anybody else we'd like to try to think that we treat everybody like a celebrity uh, whether you're here once a week or once a month or once a year or this is your first time in we try to Make sure that you have a great experience and we're going to guarantee you to have a good steak and hopefully you come back and you become a fan. Yeah. Yeah. The continued success and longevity of this business is because of the regulars and people who come in and continue to support you. Right. Correct. And, and, and that is what puts out the, you know, the word to a person like Stallone or Bush or whoever shows up because they know that they can rely on a great place like this. And, it's the, and it, you know, it's this the feeling of coming in here. It's special, too. So, it, you know, it. That I think when you get someone of a higher profile show up, it probably just reinforces the fact that you guys have been doing the right thing for so long. Correct. Um, so, I mean, I know we're getting busy. Things are starting to open up. Uh, one final thing is that looking back at that 14-year-old guy, who, who, a 14-year-old boy who was on that front paper in Tulsa, 
you know, cooking. I mean, you fast forward to now, like, do you ever think that you'd be, you know, a GM of, of, of such an institution and such a restaurant that has so much history in Oklahoma? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I, I never knew how, but I had always, I'd always hoped <clears throat> that my impact through my passion and working with a group of employees and people would pose me for the opportunity to be at a place like this mm-hmm. and I don't I don't say it boastfully I say it because really as a young man my dream was I had worked for an institution in Tulsa and it was revered by everybody in town and it was the place and it was one of the best restaurants in town and everybody loved it and I knew what it took to try to create something like that. And so, um, fortunately, I found someone like Dick Stubbs that uh, could uh, em- embrace that, shared a similar vision. Uh, he was a young, poor boy that grew up in Henrietta that really struggled to, to get out of town and get out of the glass factory and get out of the mines and everything else and go to OSU and get his hotel and restaurant degree uh, about 10 years before I did. And uh, his his goal was very similar. He wanted to make something of himself. He, he saw great, successful restaurants. And we, we really looked up to the people that had done well before us. And we said, what do we need to do to be that guy, the next generation of those people. And we tried to apply some of the things that they did well. We knew the things that they didn't well do well that we wanted to not repeat. And so we're really standing on the shoulders of the people that were before us. Yeah. So for people listening, the lesson that I hear there is when you're a kid and you have a dream is to find mentors and find people who are doing it well and follow them until you you get a chance to fly yourself exactly go for it find somebody that shares the same passion that you do and uh, and and don't quit trying if you don't find them change jobs go somewhere else and find somebody that that you think you can ride to the moon with um if it life's too short i mean you gotta you gotta go for it and uh, i think the real key is finding something finding out what that passion is that you have whether it be you know a rocket ship or um digging ditches or mowing yards or whatever it is you want to be the very best master of whatever craft you're you're striving for and you want to be known as the 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 leader of your particular um industry and your job your uh, craft that you're trying to learn and uh that's all we've tried to do, and we're, we're, we never stop trying. Every yeah. day is a new day, and every day we learn something, and every day we try to be a little bit better than the previous day. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing, what's your go-to meal when you come here? Mm, new York strip steak, okay. medium rare. Finish it with that. David, yep. thank you so much for your time. I uh, really appreciate you opening up this place for us early in the morning before things start to get bustling. Uh, for people listening, I'll post the link to the website and the social media pages, and we will catch you in the next episode. Cheers. Great. Thanks for coming in. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahoma.com oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, 
amazing sponsor. They do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And finally, our third sponsor for today, the Oklahoma 988 Mental Health Lifeline. 988 is the direct three-digit lifeline that connects you with the trained behavioral health professionals that can get all Oklahomans the help that they need. Learn more by visiting 988oklahoma.com. It's 988oklahoma.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.